Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Scripture reading today is from Exodus 421, 5-2, 8-15, 9-34, and 11, verses 9-10. through 10. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. God's word. Good morning, and uh, welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We've been going through a series on the book of Exodus, and we've been doing this series because we are a culture in New York, in America, of freedom. We love the idea of freedom. We love it corporately. We love it personally. It motivates us. It fills our imagination. And so what we've been doing is we've been going to the original, the OG story of freedom from the book of Exodus. But before we can go any further in our series, I think we have to stop, we have to pause, and deal with a problem that has come up uh, that uh, folks in our Q&R question and response have been asking for a couple weeks in a row. And the problem is this. Is there really anything called freedom? Is there really free will? Is there, can, can we actually be free? And this isn't just, by the way, a problem for Christians that believe in God, and how can God be all-powerful, and then we have freedom. But this is a problem that philosophers for millennium have been asking, and scientists for centuries have been asking. Because this is how it goes. It's, the the, the question is, are we determined by our nature? Are we determined by our nurture? See, you think that you've picked Coke over Pepsi, because you freely can pick it, or you picked burgers over pizza, or Taco Bell over McDonald's. But how do we know that our taste, the reason why we pick what we pick is not because we're already predisposed to those things because of our nature or our nurture. Did you you really have full ability equally to pick one or the other? And that's the question that we've been asking. Freud psychologically says, no, you're not uh, free because your subconscious determines you. Darwin says, no, you're not free because your biology, your DNA, the, the process of evolution that's brought you to who you are is not allowed you to be free. And then if you want to look at it from a a Christian point of view, how does God's sovereignty work with human responsibility? How can God be sovereign and in charge, but then we and our actions actually be free? Is it 
50-50? Is it 60-40? Is it 100 to zero? What is the percentage? And so this is a big problem, for whether you're a Christian or not, for everybody. And I think we have to stop here and look at the passages that we've, I've given you. And I want us to ask three questions. What's the actual teaching that we see in this text? Number one. Number two, how is it actually good news? And then number three, how do we live it out? How do we actually embody this? All right, so I'll say it again. We're going to get the teaching today. We're going to look at how it's actually good news. And then we're going to talk about how we can actually live it out. So number one, what's the teaching? Um, when I used to be a college professor, uh, professor, I was never a college professor. <laughs> Do not rep- uh, say that. When I was a college pastor, this question came up a lot, right? This is college is time when you're asking all these big questions. People would say, well, how is this possible? And I used to play a game with college students. We, I called it, Who Hardened Pharaoh's Heart? That's the subtitle of today's sermon. Who Hardened Pharaoh's Heart? And what we would do is we would pull out a, a Bible search app, and we would search just in the book of Exodus the, the word hardened. And we would play a game with our, with our fingers and say, well, which one was it? Was it did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh harden his heart? And if you want to go to the end, uh, if you do that search, that word hardened shows up 18 times between chapters 4 and 14. So clearly the, the writer is pushing this as a theme he wants to talk about. Sometimes, look at, look at verse 21, sometimes it will say the Lord hardened his heart. Right? Pharaoh, all the wonders but I will harden his heart. But sometimes it'll come out like uh, verse, where is the other verse? The, uh, verse 15. Where f- verse 15 says, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. And so it goes back and forth, and roughly speaking, there's one more than the other, but the point is, is that roughly speaking, you see both. Why does the writer of Exodus want to show us both that God has agency in action, and Pharaoh has agency in action. Why does he want to do that? Well, it would be something if this was unique just to the book of Exodus, but it's not. We see this over and over again in the rest of the Bible. If you go to Isaiah 10, what you find there is God uses the Assyrians. It's his plan to use the Assyrians to punish Israel. But then the Assyrians are culpable for their actions, for their free choices. And so you find God in charge, yet humans are responsible. Or go to the um, book of Acts, go to Acts verse, uh, chapter 27, and there you have Paul. He's on a ship, and the, there's a big storm, and everybody, the sailors, everybody on the ship think it's going to sink, and they're all going to die. But Paul, through an angel, finds out that God says, no, there, there's not one life that's going to die here. And so he tells everybody, he says, hey, God says, we're all okay. But then a couple verses later, some of the sailors are trying to sneak off the ship. And what ends up happening is uh, Paul says to them, hey, if anybody leaves the boat, we're all going to die. And so at the same time, he says, hey, I know that we're not going to die because God is in charge. And he says so. At the same time, we're all going to die if your actions go through. So it's both again. Go to the book of of, uh, Genesis, and you have at the end there the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers sell Joseph into slavery, into a hard life, and years later, he's able to come back to his brothers, despite all the evil that they had done, he can look at them in the eye and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In other words, through all these these human actions, the free actions of others, he can say, yeah, you, you meant it for evil, but God is in charge, and he had a plan, and he meant it for good. So, 
back to our original question. Which is it? Is God in control or do our actions matter? And over and over and over again, what the Bible says is, yes, it's both. We think it has to be only one or the other. We have no idea how it can't be one or the other. But the Bible does not allow that. Over and over, God's in control and we have free actions. And you say, well, how? How's that possible? Somehow, God is so omnipotent, so in charge, he can use our free actions to still get his plan done, to still be in control. And that's where I think our minds get blown. Our, our, our brains kind of explode because we say, wait, that doesn't seem, that seems contradictory. How can he actually do that? But again, push yourself. How can God let, use our free actions to get his purpose and will done? Well, again, if he's God, it's possible that he can operate in ways that we can't fully conceive. We have to allow that. We have to allow that our view of sovereignty is actually a, a, a truncated view of sovereignty. He can be so sovereign and so in charge that he can actually use our free actions in that way. A side note here. The Bible, by the way, some people try to solve this by saying, well, God just has foreknowledge. He just knows what we're going to do and then fits us into a, a jigsaw puzzle plan. That's not what, again, the, the Bible says. The Bible says that God has that free agency to do it on his own or do it through us or often both happens at the same time. And so, this is not 60-40. This is not 80-20. This is 100% God's plan and actions and 100% ours as well. And I think that's why you see in our text over and over, uh, Pharaoh, on his own volition, on his own hardened heart, he acts. And yet, the, Pharaoh, the, the writer wants to show us that Pharaoh fits within God's plan, which is why God hardened his heart. Because it fits part of the plan of redemption and salvation that he has for his people that he said back in Exodus 3 he was going to bring about. That's the teaching. That's what it says. It blows our minds. It blows our categories. But it's what the entire Bible says. All right, that's point one. Now, point two. Why is this good news? How is this good news? It's good news because, on the one hand, this is not determinism. There are some people that think that if you hold the view of God's sovereignty, then it means that you're just the frozen chosen, you can't do anything, you throw your hands up. That's not how Joseph talks to his brothers. That's not how Paul talks about to the, to the sailors. At, in both cases, God's in control. That's good news. Because God is in control through all the things that are going on, all the craziness that happens, he's there. Also good news is everything is not up to you. And I'm going I'm to go on the offensive here for a little bit. If you have a naturalistic point of view, and we assume in this room we have everybody, both Christians and non-Christians and everybody in between, if you have a naturalistic point of view that this is all that there is, then that means your choices at the end of the day, it's all up to what you do. And so there's a paralysis, I think, that happens when we say, wait a second, I can mess up. I can, I, 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 this, this might not work. What do I do about that? J.I. Packer points out that um, on another level, in his book, The Sovereignty of God, he says that uh, another problem that if you don't hold in God's absolute sovereignty is that religiously, you can, why did you get to pick God and the other person did not? And this works with Christianity, but this works, by the way, with, with Muslims or Hindus or any kind of religion. Why did you pick God and the other person didn't? But most people will say, well, it's because, you know, I, I responded to his call. Okay, but why did you respond to his call? 
Well, because I, you know, I saw his love. Well, but, but why did you see his love and the other person didn't? And if you keep teasing it down, without God's sovereignty, you have to get to the place where at some level you chose God and the other person didn't because of something about innate in you. There's something special about you. And then that can't but help but create a divide and say, well, then, I, you know, there, I can have pride about this because look what I've done. Only if you hold on to God's sovereignty that he's behind things, it's not because you're a better person than the other person out there. It's not because uh, you're more righteous. It's not because you've done something. It's only because he loved us, because he loved us, because he loved us. No other religion that I know of holds this. No other worldview holds this. We tend to oscillate. If you're a naturalistic point of view, you have to go between, well, I guess I'm just determined by my nature, and you see that happening, and people talking about that. Well, I guess I had no choice, just who I am. Or you have to say, I have ultimate free choice, but there's no overarching plan. There's no God of creation that's in, that's in charge of things, and then it's all up to me. Only Christianity that I know of holds both together. And by the way, guys, that's, that's great, because it's not God helps those who help themselves. It's also not, uh, you know, um, you're frozen in, in his plan, and you have no agency. Both come together, and when you have them together, that's so, that, there's so much good news. There's so many applications. I, and I would actually even argue, as I, the older I get, you need both. You have to have both. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Let me, let me go through some of these implications about why this is good news. Number one, why, why do you need both? One, because now your actions matter. I don't know how many of you watched the old Woody Allen movie, Annie Hall. It's one of my favorite movies because of this one little scene where the schoolboy, Alfie, is not doing his homework. He's like, ah, forget this. I don't want to do this anymore. And so his mom brings him to the doctor, of course, tries to fix this through a medical procedure. So he brings him to the doctor, and, and the mom says, tell the doctor what's your problem. And the boy says, Alfie says, well, the universe is expanding, and someday it's going to break apart, and everything's going to end, and therefore, what's the point of doing my homework? That's what he says. And of course, the doctor replies, he goes, well, yeah, but that's not going to happen for billions of years, and so we need to enjoy ourselves while we can. Like, it's going to be great until then. But not for Alfie. See, for Alfie, he goes, but if I know at some point none of this is going to matter, then why doesn't my homework matter today? And he makes a good point. See, I think that's the problem that a lot of people have to live in, is they have to say, well, this is all that there is. The, world's, the universe is expanding, which means energy is, is being spent, and eventually there won't be enough left, and so everything's going to basically die and, and um, get cold and, and be gone. And um, then your actions don't really matter. The Bible conversely shows up and says, no, our actions do matter. And we have every incentive, every reason to care about them. This is why the, there's a whole book of Proverbs, by the way, that says, you know, if, if you do not work, you do not eat. If you lie, you're going to get lied to. There's all these applications about why this stuff matters. The fact that God's plan includes our choices 
means every day, every, every place for you to have meaning and purpose and, and your actions matter, it's true. You're part of a larger cosmic story. Your story fits into a larger story of a plan of redemption. The Bible starts in Genesis, right? It's uncultivated. There's, there's nothing out there. It's just uh, some, some garden, some land. And then if you go to the end of time in Revelation, you find the city that comes down. Cultivation. And history is moving from one to the other, and we get to be part of that. I don't know how many of you watched the coronation yesterday of the King of, Eng- King of England. Um, and a lot of it happened actually at Westminster Abbey, which is in London, right by Big Ben. And um, I did some research. I don't know if you know this. They've been doing coronations there for 900 years at Westminster Abbey. 900 years. And yet the, the process of building Westminster Abbey, the main part of it took 200 years to do, which kind of blows my mind. The architect who started it had no idea how it was going to be finished. And the people working on it, right? And people did not even live 100 years. They lived, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. So multiple generations worked on this building. N.T. Wright has this great uh, image where he likens our actions, our work, our everyday lives are like these kind of stonemasons who worked on these great cathedrals. And we are given a block, and we're told by the architect, this is your job. Your job is to design this thing. And you spend your whole life chiseling and working on that block. You have no idea how it's going to fit into the grander tapestry of what that cathedral is going to look like. But, you, but what you do do matters, and it's going to fit into that. We don't know exactly our role or what it looks like, and often we think we're just sort of chiseling away, and we're like, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't, you know, it's all squiggly, and what's, how's this going to work? But that's what is amazing is the architect comes through and makes it into this beautiful thing that we couldn't conceive of, even in our lifetime. That's us. Our actions matter. Number one, that's great. That's good news. Number two, the other aspect of it, if we're going to take this, this, uh, this truth of the Bible for real, it also means God's actions matter. And this, this, why, why does that matter? Because you in your life, through the ups and downs of life, at some point you're going to say, whoa, this is not the way I planned things to be. This is not the way I would have made or organized my life to end up like this. And so when things aren't going well in our life, we go, where did, where did I go wrong? Well, I, I had a plan A for my life, for how it should go, but I don't feel like I'm on plan A. I feel like I'm on B, and some of you feel like you're on plan C. Some of you feel like you're on plan D right now. But if God's actions matter and he's in charge, then by the way, guys, there is no plan A, B, C, or D. There's only one plan, and you're on it. And that means he can use your right actions and your wrong actions and the right actions of others that have, have affected you and the wrong actions of others that have affected you to still have his ultimate plan of redemption. Now, you might push back and say, um, well, uh, I don't like this version of the plan. I don't like the way it's affecting me right now. And I completely get that. I really do. All the verses in the Bible about God's sovereignty does not fix my dad's cancer. It does not fix your hardships. It does not have an answer in and of itself for the pains of life and the heartache and the sting of rejection. But through it all, if God is still in control, then the problem isn't the plan. The problem is that we can't see the plan. And most of the time, we can't see it. 
Sometimes you get little glimpses. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an illustration for, for us. Let's do a thought experiment for fun. Um, why are we here today? Thought experiment. Why are we here today? We're here today because, as uh, Caroline brought up, Redeemer Westside asked us to start a church in, um, you know, six years ago. And uh, Redeemer Westside is a Presbyterian church. I'm a Presbyterian minister. So they called me to, to do this church. We're going to have our first congregational meeting by ourselves today. But the question is, well, then why am I a Presbyterian minister to be called to do this church? I'm a Presbyterian minister because I became a Christian through a ministry in college called uh, RUF, Reformed University Fellowship. And um, I became, a, I became a, a, a Presbyterian and a Christian through that ministry. Well, how did I become a Christian through that ministry? Well, it was because there was a Presbyterian minister that was, part, that was the head of RUF that came and found me out and convinced me that, that, first of all, that I was not a Christian. And so then that led to a whole level of questioning. And then so that I could actually come back and come to faith. But as a Presbyterian minister, he knew that I was on campus doing kind of crazy stuff because apparently Presbyterians talk to each other. And my dad is a, was a Presbyterian minister. So because my dad was a Presbyterian minister, he found out that I was on campus, and so it led to all this. But question now is, why was my dad a Presbyterian minister for that to happen? He was a Presbyterian minister because this, the last class of the last semester of his seminary experience, he got convinced Presbyterianism was right. That he, he, he wouldn't have become a Presbyterian if it hadn't been that class. But that class wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the fact that a, a, a professor came over from England to make it happen. And he came over to teach this class, but actually this class wasn't going to happen because his uh, visa was having issues with the State Department. So it wasn't going to happen. It would, none, of the, none of this would have happened if it hadn't been for the fact that he'd come over. But there was somebody else who wanted that class to happen. His name was Michael Ford. And he was able to pull some strings with the State Department to get this guy a visa so he could come over. Well, who was Michael Ford? He was the son of Gerald Ford, who happened to be president at the time. So he could call up dad and some of the people in the State Department to say, hey, can we make this happen? Well, why was Gerald Ford president at the time? <laughs> because Richard Nixon resigned. Well, why did Richard Nixon resign? Because of Watergate. Why did Watergate happen? I don't know. And I don't know if you really, I don't think anybody really knows, but the reason why is so that we could be here today. That's it. So, my dad has a version of that story, which I obviously adopted for us, but I bring it up because it's too good of an illustration for us not to talk about the fact that sometimes we get glimpses. Sometimes we, we can look back and go, oh my goodness, that is amazing that that actually worked out. And then you can see how God is actually at work. The truth is, God has always been at work, and he always will be at work. And often we, don't see, we can't tease that stuff out. Often we can't see that stuff. It's hard, but sometimes, sometimes we can trace the rainbow through the rain. Sometimes we can kind of see the glimpses or the, the silver lining. But other times we can't. And yet... If God's actions matter, if he is who he says he is, 
then often when we can't see the plan, God's still at work. And it can happen through a hundred different ordinary instances of your life that you thought didn't really matter, but actually they do. Now, my friend who I talked about a couple weeks ago who lost his daughter, we sat around trying to figure out what, how is this part of the plan? You know what? There are going to be some things that you never find out. You'll never know. I don't, we will not know why that happened. But you know what we did say? We said we, we know there is one. We know there's a plan. And it's always the same for us. God is never absent from your life. His actions matter. Now, all right, last point. How do we live this out? Right? There's the teaching, the good news. Your actions matter and his actions matter. You need both. But how do we live this out? Well, I think two quick ways. First, it, if we really live this out, we could be both humble and bold at the same time. What do I mean by that? I think there's a tendency to think, you know, it's all up to me. But there's a humility that comes knowing that God's in control, knowing that God works all things for those who love him. That's Paul in Romans. And if he's numbered the sands of this world, if he's in charge of the apparatus and the cosmos, done through our free actions, when you really let that impact you, here's the thing, you don't invite that kind of person as an assistant in your life, right? It's, when you let the immensity of God's power affect you, then you say, wait a second, am I king of my life or am I letting him be king of my life? There's a humility that should happen, that should develop, of saying, listen, I don't know what happened there. I don't see how this is good, but all right, you're, you're, God is God and I am not, and he's in charge. That brings humility. And yet, at the same time, I think it's possible for us to be also able to get boldness. Why? We can be bold because if the Christian faith is real and, and we're accepted by God, not because of what I do, but because of what he's done, then we're allowed to try new things. Because guess what? Even if we fail, there's not ultimate failure. In fact, he can even use our failures to bring about his plan of redemption. Not to say you just do whatever you want, but you, you make wise choices, you think about it, you, you, you weigh the issues. God gave you a brain, but then as you move, you can move out in confidence and boldness to care, to serve, and not to make things, how do I figure it out for myself because I got to get what I got to get? No, if God's in control, then now I can actually de-center myself to love and serve other people. I don't have to perform. I don't have to li live a good life and obey to be in. I, I obey to move out. I, I don't obey because I have to. I obey because I want to. And we can, if we can hold on to both those friends, if we can hold on to this humble boldness, I promise you, A, your life will be radically different. B, people will see that and wonder because that's not actually how most people live. People are either bold and not humble, or they're humble and they're not bold, but if you can hold both of these, that's the plan to be able to humble, be, have humble boldness and bold humility. I think that's how you, one of the things that we can do to live this out. Now, last way, last thing I want to say here. How do we live out this, this immense truth that is just so, it's like right on the tip of our brain to be able to kind of get our head around it, and you know, we can't, but it's there. We need to see the way to live this out is we need to see how God is working all things for our salvation. Exodus, the whole book of Exodus, we'll see, is God using the free will of his people to bring about the freedom of his people through his sovereignty. And he's not just trying to solve their political freedom, but their spiritual freedom. 
And as redemptive history unfolds, what you find is Jesus Christ, through his free actions, fulfills God's sovereign plan. Again, together. And I think the Christian faith, the depth of it lets us do this. It lets us say, on the one hand, I don't know, I really don't know why bad things happen and why God allows it. But I know this, if God can let the worst thing in the world ever happen, which is the death of his own son, and yet he can turn that for good, I know if he can do that with the worst thing, then he can do that through our lives too. If he can turn the worst thing in the world and turn it for good, then he can take our lives and bring good through it as well. And I think that's how you, you can live in that space. If you, can, if you can do that in Jesus' life and death, then you better believe it. He can do it through our life and through our death. And so I guess before I, we, we, we end, I want to ask you this. What kind of relationship do you have with this God? What kind of, uh, of uh, uh, peace do you have? What kind of non-anxiousness do you have? See, there would be so much, so many resources we could live in if we, if we let ourselves have we taken the free actions to say, I will trust in him and not in anything else? Let me try to sh- give you an illustration about why I think you can. <clears throat> this is a true story as well, true story, about a um, pastor and his son, which clearly a- affects me. My dad's a pastor, I'm a pastor. Um, and this son sat in the same pews like you, heard the same truths about God's sovereignty, human responsibility, heard the, all the same stuff. You know what he did when he got old enough? He ran. He left. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to be free. And he left um, his father's house. He left the church. He left the faith. One day, his father, middle of the night, gets a phone call. This is back before cell phones. It's the, you know, the corded phone. Picks up the phone, and um, here's, here's a voice that says, this is the police. Your son had a DUI. He's down at the jail. Please come down here. So he gets out of bed, gets in his car, and he drives to the local police station to the jail cell. And um, when he gets there, the police officer said, we didn't bring in anybody like that you just described. That's, your son's not here. So he started going around to other jail cells, other places that, that he might have been picked up. And every time his son's not there, he finally calls one of his son's friends and said, you, actually, he moved across state lines. He's over here. You should go check those uh, police stations. So he drives across the state, tries this, can't find him, Again, that's, that friend told, gives him the address where he might be living. So he goes to the door of this house, doors unlocked, goes inside, and finds his son sleeping on a mattress, on the floor, in a sleeping bag. And he stands over his son. And he's just happy that he's there. And so he doesn't want to wake him. He doesn't want to disturb him. So he just leans down and kisses him. Gives him a, a kiss, and then walks away. A couple months later, the son starts coming around the house more, seeing mom, seeing dad, starts coming back to church, becomes a Christian, actually becomes a pastor. And years later, as the father-son, father, they're walking and talking, I, and I can, I can clearly imagine this kind of uh, question coming from the dad. The dad eventually said, hey, remember that time years ago? Why did you come back to Christianity? Why did you come back to the faith? And was it, what, what reason was it? What, what you know, what was the, the thought or the argument that brought you back? And the son said, Dad, you don't know? Said, no, I don't know. He goes, Dad, it, years ago, that phone call that you got, that was my friend and I. We prank called you. We called you, and we knew that you'd get out of, out of your bed and start looking for us. 
And when you came to the house, I was wide awake. And I was wondering, I was like, what are you going to do? Are you going to yell at me? Are you going to scream at me? And then when you leaned down and you kissed me and walked away, Dad, it was the kiss that brought me home. It was the kiss. If the kiss of an earthly father showing his love to his son can bring his son back, what, what if we understood the kiss of the heavenly father loving us through the works and actions of Jesus, putting his happiness at the center of our happiness to bring us home through our brokenness? What if we experienced that? What if we understood that we deserved the yelling, we deserved all the beratement, and we get a kiss? That's a God we can trust. The ultimate Father's kiss, not condemning us. And when we understand that and believe in Jesus, when we gaze on him, when we reflect his glory, the more delighted that you are in Jesus, the more glorious you see him, the more than we can handle what life will throw our way. You can trust—listen, we might not have all the right answers, all the answers of how this all works together, but you can trust the God who gives us a kiss through Jesus. And he wants to give you spectacles to see how your entire life, all along, he's been working for your salvation and for the salvation of the world. And we have a hand in it. We get to be part of it. And we equipped with that knowledge that your actions matter, but it's through his actions— they're not outside the bounds of God's plan. Whether you mess up or not, you can live humble, bold lives. And I would love for this church to be able to do that. I'd love for us to be able to go out and do that and hold these things together that most people try to pull apart, but we can in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in some ways this is a, a theological concept. It's, it can be very dry. But Father, I pray that we see the infinite resources found in it that we are co-creators with you. There's all, we, we are participants with you, but none of it outside the bounds of your grace. Father, help us to see every time your sovereignty is talked about in the Bible, it's usually to hurting people, people oppressed, people in need, because that's exactly, you give them exactly what they need when they need it. We need to know when things are not going well, we need to know you're in charge. And yet, Father, when things are going well, when things are going great, we need to realize our actions matter. And where we're, are we doing things for, for me or for thee? Are we doing things for my kingdom or your kingdom? Are we doing things? What's so amazing is you can use all things, even our wrong, misplaced actions, which is amazing. But, Father, how much better would it be if we were aligned with you? Can we, can we ever not be? Is it really smart to ever align ourselves outside of you? I just pray this. You move in our hearts in profound ways. We pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.